Today, we're talking about the third act of grace, which is God's transforming grace. The third act of grace is the Holy Spirit forming you into someone who looks a lot like Jesus. That's the main thing. All right, so I heard three truths the other day. Um, follow me here. Three truths, undisputed. They can be proven, taken to the bank. All right, number one is that Jews don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Protestants don't recognize the Pope as the head of the church. And Christians don't recognize each other in liquor stores and strip clubs. You know? So, yeah. So, the, why, why do we find humor in that? Because a lot of times it's true, right? Why is it that, that uh, so many Christians don't live any different than their non Christian friends and neighbors? Why is that? Why do so many Christians live such compromised, lukewarm uh, lives devoid of any difference? In the non-believing world. Well, it's clear in Scripture we're supposed to look very different from the non-Christian world. Otherwise, Jesus doesn't mean anything, right? Ephesians 4, 22-24 says it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We're supposed to get rid of the old ways. The old self is, is dying. It's dead. It's, 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 it's wrong. It's sinful. It needs to be cast off, and we need to be made new. And, but, so the goal is to be like God, Christ-like. That's the goal. But many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we're pretty far away from that, Right? We know that. We admit we fall short, woefully short of that goal. Why is that? Well, I believe it's this, is that many Christians have not made themselves available to the third part of God's grace, which is God's transforming grace, also known as sanctifying grace. Everybody say sanctified. Sanctified. Okay, well, sanctified just means set apart. Set apart. Uh, we are called out of this world to be set apart for Christ. We're supposed to be different, set apart. For example, um, my wife and I, um, my wife is sanctified for me, and I'm sanctified for her. We are set apart for each other. Um, my car is set apart for me. It's sanctified for me. It's not yours. Um, my house are, is set apart for myself and my family. It's not, it's not yours. Just like my home is not yours, we are sanctified, set apart, all right? Uh, so, so, so if you're a Christian, you are sanctified or, for God. You are set apart. You're belonging to no one else. Last week, just, God's justifying grace, also his cleansing grace, presented you with a doorway. A doorway. Now, the question I'm going to ask you all is, is this doorway that was presented last week, is that a roadblock or a passageway to your new life? That's a question. Many of us think Christianity stopped last week with the cleansing of sins. And, and I don't want to minimize that, but that's not the point of Christianity at all. The point of Christianity is to know God deeply and personally and to walk with him. So we should come to the point where we say, you know, so many of us come to the point where you say, well, I know God, but I don't know him like I want to or like I should. Uh, there, there, there's this big gap I have to bridge. And, and a lot of us have come to that. The reason I know that is because a lot of you ask me that. How, how can I become, I love it, I love the terminology. How can I become more Christian? Oh, uh, well, let's think about it. If we, most people are looking for a devotion to do, like a, like a, a, a certain thing to read or, or a certain practice to do. How can I become more Christian? It's really funny. Well, if we, if we look, if, if it's all about becoming more devotional, 
Let's go back to the Bible and see who would win the devotional prize in Scripture. The Pharisees. They were the people that killed Jesus. Okay, so obviously being more devotional is not the answer to us, to, to, to this dilemma that we have. Um, we don't need to be more devotional. The question isn't, how can I become more devotional or more, more a Christian? The question is, how can I surrender more of my life to the sanctifying grace of God so that he can work in me to do what I am incapable of doing myself? See, you guys, when you allow God's grace to transform you, you begin to do things differently. Maybe, maybe here's some questions to ask yourselves, all right? Since I've become a follower of Jesus, am I less easily irritated? Am I less easily discouraged? If the peace of Christ is reigning in my heart, am I more patient with the people around me? Am I becoming more joyful? Well, that's a big question in this day and age. Am I becoming more peaceful? Am I more faithful? Am I more self-controlled? See, see, these are the things that God's transforming grace does within you. Here at Catalyst, if you're visiting, I'm really glad you're here. We, 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 I've been uh, um, actually criticized as having low expectations. I don't have low expectations. I have few expectations. Big difference from low expectations. Here at Catalyst, we aren't the brightest people in the world. I mean, look who's leading this thing, Okay. All right, so we don't get real complicated. We, as leadership, went away, and we, just, we wanted to see what is it that we want our church to, be, to, to have. If someone is here for 5, 10, 15 years, what kind of things do we want growing and developing in the people in this church? And we came up with two things. That's it, two things. One is we expect you to be a disciple who makes disciples, we want you to be someone, we want you to be the last person in your life to hear, we don't want you to be the last person in your life to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want someone else other than you to hear it from you. The second thing is we want you to be a person that exhibits what the Bible calls fruit of the Spirit, more and more and more. That's what we want. Just like apples grow on an apple tree, certain things grow and are visible in the life of a believer. They are nine things. Listen in Galatians 5, 23-23. We talk about them all the time, and we're going to keep talking about them. They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that we want the people in this church to exhibit more and more as the Holy Spirit takes over more and more. As the transforming grace of God gets a hold of you, you begin to exhibit those things more and more. But most of us would admit that those things aren't growing in us, or maybe one or two of them are, but not all of them. And some of us would even, would even admit that those things are receding in me right now. I look at that list like, man, that doesn't describe me. Well, my passion as your pastor is to see the fruit of the Spirit within every one of you. It's my passion for all of you. To see the, God's, uh, the Holy Spirit express those things in greater and greater amounts in your lives. I just want you to imagine a home full of the fruit of the Spirit where you could go home and there's no tension, there's no second guessing, there's no parents cursing uh, kids out and, and, and kids cursing their parents out where there's just love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in your home. Imagine a church full of that. Imagine a church full of that without the, the gossip and the factions and, the, and the, all the other things that seem to plague so many churches. Imagine a society full of that as opposed to what we see on the news every day. 
Our only hope. So the question isn't merely, have I been saved by the grace of God? The question is, am I allowing the grace of God to change me every single day? Because that's what he wants to do. What I've found is that we as people are great at making bold statements and making commitments, and we're terrible at following through with them. How many of you all have made a New Year's resolution? Okay, this time I'm going to lose weight. Uh, This time I am going to start going to church every Sunday. This time I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover, and you stall out somewhere around Leviticus. All right, how many of us have made a New Year's resolution and not followed through with it? Absolutely, that's what New Year's resolutions are. The average New Year's resolution lasts two weeks. Why is it that we're so good at making commitments and so terrible at following through? Well, this is why. Because we have things called pathways in our minds, okay? Uh, and, and the thing that the grace of God wants to, has to do in order for us to live transformed lives, firstly, he's got to do some brain surgery. He's got to tear up the old pathways that we have laid down through repeated behavior, right? 95% of your behavior every day is habit. And these pathways that we just lapse into determine our behavior. So the first way that God transforms, he's got to tear up these old pathways. I remember the first time I had to do some engine work. I'm, I'm, I like to work on my own cars. Got any car guys in here? Car guys? Fix your own cars? Uh, I, I, all, the, all the guys are like, well, I used to before they started putting those computers in. Uh, I've heard that a lot. By the way, if you've ever seen a, a car with a hood up, it's man-attractant. Like, we, we sit there and we lean on it and... We look like we know what we're doing and point something, where's the carburetor? I haven't had one in the car since the 70s. Oh, no, I know that. Man, I used to be able to fix these cars, but, man, can't do it anymore. Okay, that, that's what guys, ladies, that's what guys are doing. We're, we're not solving anything. We're just talking about how, how good we used to be, just letting you know. Okay, so I had, first time I had to do some engine work, and I removed the engine head. Um, and so there, there, it was fastened on by seven bolts. And the seven, uh, seven by eight bolts, seven of them came off very easily. And the eighth one was stripped out, all right? And it, not only that, but the, the bolt was kind of at an angle this way, so I couldn't really see it. Well, those of you guys that, this is kind of mechanics 101, if you, need, if you want to get a strip bolt out, and it, you basically have to drill out the middle of it. You have to put a drill bit through the bolt, and, and then you put a bolt extractor in and, and pull it out. Okay, that's what you have to do. Well... I had never done this before, and so I, because I couldn't see what I was doing, I just kind of kind of felt for the, you know, and, and I started drilling. Well, uh, my friend who was with me, he had the mirror, and he was what he goes, whoa, stop, 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 and I was, what? And I had missed the center of the bolt, and I had drilled off into the side, and, and I was actually into the engine head and I was about one millimeter from breaking a water jacket with antifreeze because and, and I'm not gonna explain it it's bad okay that's bad you don't want to do that so I was like oh man so I so in other words the bolt was like this and I had drilled kind of to the side this way I think all you mechanics know exactly where I'm going with this okay so I had to find the center of the bolt well what did the drill bit keep doing mechanics what what did the drill bit do it kept slipping into the old pathway, right? It kept slipping into the old pathway. Why is that? Why was it slipping into the, because that was the pathway that had been laid down. And guys, that's what we do. We have pathways laid up in our mind that our thoughts and our actions and our behaviors go into because that's the path that's been laid down. And guys, unless you tear up that old pathway and lay a new one down, you will never change. You will experience the frustration of so many Christians and so many people trying to change and failing. 
okay? I want you to think of these pathways as a, as a, as a drill bit that, that, that's, been, that's off center, and you're trying to hit the middle of it, and it keeps scooting off into the one that's already been laid down, okay? We all know this. We all know that this happened. How many of you guys have been to a revival before? Anybody been to a revival? Yeah? Those of you were real popular when I was a kid. You know, you know how they go, 50 verses of just as I am. People come down just as they are, go out just as they were, you know. And, and, and it's, it's well documented that people that come forward to revivals within five years are not living a Christian life. They're, 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 they, all the commitments they've made, they've quit. Um, I was, uh, uh, I, I, when I was a youth minister, I did camp. And everybody gets real spiritual at camp, makes big commitments, big professions of faith at camp. On the night, the last night of, of camp, high schoolers, you know, they're, 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 they're talking about the big things they're going to be doing when we go back to school and everything. And the next day, they see their parents, and they're disrespectful and rude, and I know there's no hope for them because they've lapsed right back into that old pathway, regardless of the commitments they've made. But guys, we have to make sure that we tear up these old pathways that we, that we lapse into if we are going to live transformed lives for Christ. The first, uh, I want you guys to turn to 1 Peter 4, 1 through 5. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable ideas. Idolatry. They think it's strange you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Right? There's six pathways that are identified here that we have to get. The first one is this, the pleasure pathway. All right? We have trained our minds to seek pleasure, whatever makes us feel good. All right? When we're around certain people, we're around certain uh, uh, whatever, it, it's, it's, we immediately slip into the, into the pleasure pathway where we just simply do what makes us feel good. And, and, and we get this dopamine rush in our, in our brains, a reward for it, and we've laid that path down. And we have to tear up that old pathway because that has gotten us nowhere. The Bible says you spend enough time running after pleasure, running after what makes you feel good. What has it gotten you? Those of you that are in active recovery that are in this church, I'd love to have you answer that question. Praise God that you're here. This is exactly where you need to be. Second is the impatience pathway. Come up, we, we, we make a big profession of faith in church, and then Monday we're sitting on Nicholsville Road. I'd like to tear, I like, I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit of God to just tear up the whole, not just the, Impatient, the impatience pathway is Nicholsville Road, okay? It, let's, just, let's just tear it up, Holy Spirit. But until he does, we've got to make sure that the impatience pathway, we tear that up. We're sitting in traffic, or the kids don't learn as quickly as we want them to learn. You don't get the promotion as quickly as you want. The Bible says you spend enough time being impatient. Time to tear up that pathway. After all, what has your impatience gotten you? What has it gotten you? Has it blessed you? Has it made you popular? Has it made you a lot of friends? Has your spouse become more endeared to you because of your impatience? No, it's gotten you nothing but pain. And to tear that pathway up. They think it's strange, you guys, that you would be patient with your family. That you would be patient with people that are ugly to you. They think it's strange. 
Third pathway is the unforgiveness pathway, becoming more and more prevalent in our culture. Say you're hurt or maligned or abused. Immediately you move straight down to the unforgiveness pathway. I gotta make you pay. I gotta make you hurt like I hurt. What has that gotten you? Spend enough time in unforgiveness. Maybe some of you in here today need to just for once and for all let it go. I don't know what it is you're carrying, but you just need to drop it. You just need to cancel the debt. You just need to forgive because it's not hurting anyone but you. Tear up that unforgiveness pathway. And people are going to think it's strange you choose to forgive and not get even. Probably the most toxic pathway next is the next one, the defeated pathway. You come up against a tough time or criticism or a challenge, and you just melt. You hear the voice in your head, you can't do it. They don't like you, you're worthless. And you just shrink back, the defeated pathway. Remember, we are what we repeatedly do. And you spend enough time in a defeated mindset. You're a child of God. Jesus died for you. You are worth more than you imagine. There are people that think it strains that you would continue to fight and continue to pick yourself up and continue to have faith, continue to live with vision, continue to stay faithful to God when it seems like he has, he has left you out to dry. They think it's strange you do that, but you've torn up the defeated pathway. The next pathway, the worry pathway. Something bothers you, something comes, immediately you go straight to that worry the Bible preaches against. You come into a situation you can't control. You try to control it, but you can't control it. So you worry. The Bible says you spend enough time worrying. You can't control it, so you worry. Like Jesus said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? These old toxic pathways in our minds are stopping you from being living a transformed life in Jesus Christ. Last one is the consumer's pathway, so, so powerful here in America. You see something, you just got to have it. Doesn't matter if you can pay for it, doesn't matter what you sacrifice, you just got to have it. The Bible will tell you, you spend enough time desiring brighter, better, newer, more fashionable. Spend enough time doing that. And the people around you think it's strange that you don't have the newest, latest, and greatest. They think it's strange you aren't consumed by the latest celebrity style or, or what they endorse. They think it's strange. They heap abuse on you. You've broken up the consumer's pathway. See, these are pathways that are in our minds right now that are stopping us from leading transformed lives in Jesus Christ. And if you were to admit it, every person in here struggles with one, if not all, of these pathways that we've laid down. We've got to let the Holy Spirit tear it up. We've got to let the Holy Spirit do surgery in our brains tear those up, and then second, to lay down new pathways. Look what verse four through uh, 7 through 11 says. The end of all things is near, you guys. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. 
Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you should use whatever gift you receive to, to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. There are three pathways that Scripture identifies that the Holy Spirit wants to lay down in your mind today. After tearing up those old ones, wants to lay down three new pathways. The first one is this, prayer pathway. The first pathway we're told to lay down is a prayer pathway. It tells us to be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. How many of you guys have said, you know what, I am going to become a prayer warrior. I'm going to spend an hour in prayer a day. I don't think people have made that. Some of us have said, I'm going to spend 10 minutes in prayer. How are we doing? After about two weeks, it's tough. And the reason it says here, many of us have trouble focusing in prayer because we are not clear-minded and we're not self-controlled. The Bible said you have to be clear-minded and you have to be self-controlled if you want to have any type of, of, of prayer life. Clear-minded and self-controlled. So if you are constantly upset, constantly anxious, constantly worrying about what you see, you are not clear-minded. And therefore, you will not be able to pray. The Holy Spirit lays down a new pathway in your mind so that prayer is the first, just like the, just like the drill bit, uh, instead of going to the middle, went into the path that was already laid down. Prayer becomes the pathway you take immediately. And everything, if anything happens, if you're tempted to, to, to go down that pleasure pathway, you immediately pray. If you're tempted to go in that impatience, you immediately pray. You're on Nicholas Road and somebody cuts you off. Lord, bless them. That's your first pathway. If anybody succeeds in that, mentor me, please. You're tempted to unforgiveness. You're tempted to, somebody, somebody sins against you, and you're tempted to hold on to it immediately. You pray because you've, the Holy Spirit has laid down a path, pathway in your mind. If you're tempted to defeatism, if you're tempted to consumerism, you're tempted to anxiety and worry, immediately you go straight to prayer. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. It's lay down a pathway. So that's the fault that you go to. Holy Spirit wants to lay down that pathway that you seek God immediately without even thinking. And not just about your current state or what you're dealing with, but also with sin. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, responsible for bringing millions of college students to Christ, practiced what he called spiritual breathing. This is pretty neat. He said, Christians do this incredibly stupid thing. We sin. We lie or we cheat or we look at porn or commit adultery, whatever it is, he said. And then we sit there with it on our souls for hours, days, weeks, months, even years. And he said, it's almost like we feel we have to hold on to it for a while before we can approach God in forgiveness. He said, don't, don't. Don't allow that toxicity to float around in your soul and lay down a new pathway. He said immediately, and he said immediately repent. Immediately, he said, breathe the sin out and then breathe in the grace of God. He said it should be as normal and as repetitive as breathing in, in oxygen and out CO2. Because you breathe out the sin, you breathe in the grace of God. He said immediately, the second it happens, boom, get it out of you, get it out of your soul. That's what a prayer pathway looks like. Second, you mess up, 
He runs straight to dad and says, dad, I screwed up. Father, I screwed up. I need your forgiveness. Breathe it out. You breathe in the grace of God. That's what it means. Second pathway of the scripture that talks about laying down after the prayer pathway is the love pathway. The love pathway says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. We are, the Holy Spirit wants us to go immediately to love. And anything happens immediately there. Uh, the Christian church, of which we are a part, was founded with the motto, in essentials unity, and not essentials liberty, in all things love, in all things love. Every disagreement, every problem, every issue, all things love. Now, see, when you, have, when you understand that this is your default, now you can understand how people like Mother Teresa did what she did. How could she serve on the streets of Calcutta for 70 years among the worst people that are born on the sidewalk, live on the sidewalk, and die on the sidewalk? And she, is continu- and she has continued through her whole life to serve and to love. How do you do that? Because she had the love pathway laid down in her mind. That was her default. The Holy Spirit had transformed her into someone that loved thinking right now our society is very different than Mother Teresa right now our society is obsessed with revenge I've seen interviews on TV I really should just turn it off now everybody's talking about how they need to get back at whoever they whoever sinned against them or whoever's been keeping them down we got to get our revenge we're on what's known in sociological terms, is a revenge cycle. A revenge cycle, you may see that in your family. You may see that in the world where somebody does something, somebody gets back at them, they get back, they get back, they get back. Did anyone ever get even? It's called a revenge cycle. That's where we are right now as a society. And it's destroying us. It'll destroy your home, destroy your life, destroy your community, destroy this nation. We continue on it. My junior year in high school, I, I, I went outside to my vehicle to go to school early morning. It's raining, I remember it. And I had a Jeep Grand Wagoneer with wood paneling. Oh, yeah. And it had windows and had a triangle window in the front. And the triangle was standing open. I was like, that's odd. I, I, uh, I never opened that window. That's odd. And I go to my door and my door's open, it's unlocked. And I look, see, kids these days don't know how cool it was to have cassette tapes, okay? All my cassette tapes were there. I was like, well, that's cool. I look back in the very back. My brother had bought a box set of speakers, 15-inch speakers. They were gone. My car had been broken into at my house, somebody had, had, not, had opened that window, knocked the lock, just, you know, damaged the window, and had taken those at my house. I was livid. I remember spending the next three days in a rage that someone had the audacity to do that. I wanted Revenge. Praise God that I never, know who, never knew who did that because I don't know what I would have done. He saved me from a lot. But this past Thursday, 7 a.m., I got a call from a guy who works across the, uh, 
across at the courthouse, a friend of mine. And he said, somebody busted out the glass on your front door. You guys saw it, just came in, covered with plywood. And I got in my car and I drove to the church and I saw the broken glass, saw the piece of concrete that someone had thrown through the, thrown through the window. My first reaction, honestly, I wondered what state of the soul the person who did this was like. I, and and I, I contrasted that with the last time that I was a victim of a crime. Somebody had broken something and taken something. I, I, I contrasted how angry I was when I wanted revenge. And basically how the very first thing was my concern for the guy that did it. Guys, that's, the, that's what the Holy Spirit does within you. And not just within me. The reaction, the people in this church... It was amazing. I got, um, you know, I, I, I talk with many of you the morning, either through text or online, and there's not one call for revenge or anger or getting even or anything like that to a person. Everyone just said, we need to pray for this person because I can't imagine a soul so dark and so lost that somebody would want to do that. One person wrote this to the church. The glass is only glass, and although not good, there was a person with an eternal soul who threw that. Let us unite as a church today and pray for that person. Let's bless them and their family. So if they have the opportunity to read our responses, they will want to come and see why we are different. Well, somebody apparently had a camera and took a picture of the person that did it. And the young people here are like, who's that and why are these old people laughing? For all of y'all that, that don't know who that's, Ernest T. Bass from Andy Griffith, and you guys can Google that. But that, that was the response. That's what we got. And I have never been more amazed at a church not one call for revenge, not one call for anything. The only thing was, I hope this person repents. Guys, that's what a love pathway is. And that's where you immediately went. Immediately, without thinking. That's where you went, because the Holy Spirit has laid down a love pathway. If you had a revenge pathway, you'd have been out here calling for the head of whoever did it. One of the reasons why I love this church. It's just glass. Please join me in praying for whoever that was. Please do that. Who knows? Maybe he'll come in here. Maybe one of these days we'll baptize him. How awesome would that be? Third pathway that Scripture identifies is this, the mission pathway. Third pathway tells us to lay down. Each one of us use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And one speaks to do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, to do it with the strength God provides, so in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Here's the truth, people, Americans. Here's the truth. You aren't a great musician or a great artist or a great athlete or a great planner or a great leader or whatever it is that you're good at. You're not that way for you. You were given those talents and abilities for one reason, 
to serve and glorify God. You were given those abilities and talents so you can serve people and serve God at a high level of effectiveness. That's why you are good at what you're good at. It is not for you. It is to be used for God's kingdom. And most of us, regrettably, aren't doing that. Most of us aren't. Most of us aren't using our talents and abilities to build God's kingdom, to do things as he wants them to be done. It's the pathway the Holy Spirit wants to lay down in your mind so that everything that we do, immediately you have, a, you have an opportunity, you have an ability, you have a, a strength, whatever, immediately you go, how can I use this to serve God? You begin asking questions. Does this glorify God? Does, this, does, does doing this, does, does, does my, let's say you're a great musician, is, is my, am I using my musical abilities to shout the greatness of God to an unbelieving world? That's why he gave you the musical ability. Is this shout to the world, the greatness and the glory of God? Is the career that I'm going into? Is the, the way I spend my time, the, the things that I'm good at? And am I just building my own kingdom, building my own resume? Or am I using these abilities to glorify and shout the name of God? That's the mission pathway. Instead of using your gift and this to serve yourself, use it to bring about God's glory. Pastor David Platt wrote this in, the, in his book Radical about how many of us make Jesus into our own image instead of the opposite. He writes this. This is what most Christians want, a nice, middle-class American Jesus, a Jesus who doesn't mind materialism, who would never call us to give away everything we have, a Jesus who would not expect us to forsake our closest relationships so that he receives all of our affection, a Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion and who does not infringe on our comforts because, after all, he loves us just the way we are. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and who, for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings us comfort and prosperity as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. That's unfortunate what many people call themselves Christians want. That's not who Jesus is. When the transforming grace of God hits you, you won't believe in that Jesus anymore. Matter of fact, that Jesus will be repulsive to you. I have to admit, when I read what Platt wrote, and even just when I just said it out loud, it kind of disgusted me, honestly, to think that that's what people would think or would even want in the Son of God. Well, the Son of God is calling us to something more and greater than the sleepy, lukewarm, pathetic vision for life that, was just, that I just read about. The mission pathway, taking what you're good at, laying it at the feet of God and say, God, use this for your glory, your, to build your kingdom. If you're a great leader, use it to lead people to Christ. If you're a great planner, use it to plan things so that God's kingdom can be built. Whatever it is you're good at, whatever abilities you have, they're available to God. The third thing, is that this is going to take not just tearing up old pathways and laying down new ones, but it's going to take perseverance. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? 
So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Saddest thing in the Bible is the ongoing theme in the Old Testament of how many godly people who were so devoted in their younger years fell apart as they got older. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, so few of the heroes of the Bible finish well. You know, Noah, paragon of virtue, the one who was, who was seen as righteous, and he got saved from the flood, wound up, ending his li- ended his life uh, laying around drunk and naked and cursing his kids. The prophet Samuel's children were scoundrels, stole from the people, uh, and used their position to solicit sex from women. You can read about that. King David, the man after God's own heart, wound up committing adultery with Bathsheba and taking a census which caused the deaths of 76,000 people. His son Solomon, the wisest man of all time, fell away from the faith and worshipped other gods, causing the kingdom to split after his death. The list goes on and on and on. I believe these stories are in the Bible for a reason, you guys. It illustrates to us and to warn us how hard it is to persevere. I, I was speaking to a large uh, gathering of teenagers several years ago, hundreds of kids in attendance, and I asked them this question, simple question that I'll ask you guys too. Which is easier to do, to die for Christ or to live for Christ? There's nothing but silence. And I I went on, I said, we make such prizes of people who give their lives for Christ. Five days ago, you guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but five days ago was the 22nd anniversary of the Columbine High School Massacre. I know that because that's the birthday of my oldest daughter. She was born right during that time, right, right when Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris were shooting up Columbine High School. My daughter was being born. And the two very devoted Christian girls, Rachel Scott and Cassie Bernal, facing down the barrel of a gun, were asked, do you believe in Jesus? They, they were executed after saying yes. And we should honor and revere them giving the ultimate sacrifice for that. We should honor and revere them. But which is harder, y'all? To say yes in one instant or to consistently live out your faith day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, which is harder to do? I think it's a thousand times harder to live for Christ than it is to die for Christ. Die for Christ? Hey, it's over. You go straight to heaven. Awesome. Live for Christ? Really? You ready to do that? Stay faithful to God your entire life? Consistently serve and support your church year after year, decade after decade? Consistently fend off temptation year after year, decade after decade? Consistently give yourself to making disciples, sharing your faith, seeing people come to Christ because of you year after year after year after year? Continue to serve in children's ministry for 30 years, 40 years. Consistently pray for enemies, forgive those that hate you over and over and over again. Give sacrificially, no, no matter, while everyone else around you is living the high life. Are you ready for that? Which is easier to do, church, to die for Christ or to live, with, live for Christ? I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. Most of you in here will not die for Christ. Most of you won't. Maybe none of you will. I'm telling you, only only through the transforming power of God can you persevere 
You cannot do it on your own. I know everybody here has tried. I tried. Yep. I'm t- How many of you all have had this conversation with God? See if this sounds familiar. God, I'm telling you, this is the last time we're going to have this conversation. I'm telling you, God. I promise you, God. Right? How many of you all have had that conversation with God? And then you're back the next week. I'm, Lord, I'm telling you, this is the last time we're ever going to have this conversation. This is the last time I'm ever going to, whatever it is. Only through the transforming power of God, the grace of God, will you be able to persevere. And God designed it that way. You know that, right? He designed us weak enough that we couldn't do it ourselves. Because if we could do it ourselves, we wouldn't need him. We'd get the glory. God designed us that way. It is that way on purpose. He's looking at us, tiny, messed up, stupid, loved little humans, and he's saying, are you guys ready? Are you guys ready to do things my way? Are you ready to let me do what you yourself can't do? I mean, I've sat here and watched you your whole life. I love you. You're my my creation. I died for you. I love you. But I've watched you try the same thing over and over and over again. It's not working. When are you going to give my grace the place in your life it deserves? Why don't you let me come in, tear up these old pathways? Why don't you let me lay down some new pathways? Why don't you let me show you how to persevere? Or you can keep doing it the other way. Stupid is a stupid does. The Holy Spirit of God is telling you today, because of the grace of God, We no longer have to be who we were previously. You don't have to be who you were this morning when you're arguing with your family on the way to church. You don't have to be that. You don't have to be the guy you were 10 years ago. You don't have to be the girl you were five years ago. You don't have to be that. God seeks us out and he finds us. His first act of grace. He comes and finds us. He cleanses us of everything we've ever done wrong, past, present, and future. And then he molds us and makes us into someone who looks a lot like Jesus. That's God's perfect work in you. Question is, are you available? Are you surrendered enough to the grace of God to allow him to do in you what you yourself can't do? To be who God created you to be. Only you know the answer to that question. I'm begging you. I'm 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 pleading, pleading. I'm imploring you as a pastor who loves you. Open yourself to the grace of God. Allow him to change you, someone who looks a lot like Jesus.